are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Acts chapter 28. And we'll begin looking together at verse number 1. Acts 28, verse number 1. I'm going to read you several verses and then get into the message today. It says, And when they were escaped... There was a great shipwreck, we'll talk about that in just a moment, and uh, washed them up on shore of an island there. It says, when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. Verse 5 is the text verse. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. For the Hornbeck, would, would it be a an accurate statement to these young men, young ladies, they're preparing for the ministry, that if they don't learn how to handle hardships, they're not going to make it. I, um, I don't want to discourage anybody from the work of the Lord. It's wonderful. It's great. I, I have a professional communications class, and uh, we heard that again just this morning. Uh, Daisy Diaz was giving, uh, giving the assigned topic speech that she was speaking on, and she began by saying the ministry is great and talked about her dad being the Spanish pastor of our church. The ministry is great. But I'll tell you something, not every bit of it is great. Most of it is, but there's some of it that if you're not careful, the devil will use it to get you out of the work of the Lord. And I want to help you with that today as I bring you this message entitled, Shake Off the Beast. Years ago, when uh, my buddy and I, Den Carroll, were, were traveling together in the summer times, we uh, just college kids, and I don't really know exactly how it worked out, but our, our entire summers would, be, would get booked up as soon as college was finished. We'd get on the road, stayed on the road all summer long, and right up until the day college started again in the, the next semester. And uh, several of those times brought us out to California. While we were out here, we uh, were, were in Northern California, met this preacher, loved him, loved the pastor, loved his family, and uh, just, we, I couldn't believe that he'd have a couple, literally, I was, I was yet a teenager, I was 19, and my buddy was a couple of years older than I was, and I couldn't believe he would have us come and preach. But man, we loved it. We, we weren't good. We didn't know how to conduct a meeting. We, we didn't know how to send out a, a, a pre-meeting booklet and tell the pastor how to prepare for a revival meeting. We just showed up and were glad the door was unlocked and we went in behind the pulpit and preached to ever showed up. Over the years, we kept in touch with several of those pastors. One of them became an especially close friend. Had one of those smiles that when he smiled just absolutely won you over instantly. Didn't have to say anything, just had to look at him. And then your heart was set at ease and you're kind of guy you just wanted to hang around with. And, and uh, even though maybe he didn't feel that way about us, we felt like we were best friends. I was pastoring and years later, 
And word came to me that my pastor friend, the one whom I just described to you a moment ago, by this time he and his wife had gone over into Reno and uh, had started a church over there and they had been visiting family members back in Northern California. After the family, it was, it was around the time of year when families would get together, November, around Thanksgiving that time. And when they finished their, 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 their uh, family meeting and uh, fellowship time together, he said, you know, let's go ahead and just drive home. It'll be a little bit late, but let's, I, I need to get back for some things. And he and his wife got in the car and began to make their journey back over to their home and towards Reno. Some of the highways that they traveled getting back there were these little two-lane country uh, black uh, stop kind of roads and uh, not, not a lot of traffic on those roads and uh, just out in the country, rural. Kind of cool in the night. It was the Indian summer kind of year like we're in right now. It'd be maybe warm in the day and real cool at night. And apparently in this open range, by that I mean they have cattle without the fencing, without barbed wire fences or any restraints. And it's just open range and cattle can wander across the highways and uh, no boundaries for them to, to, to be confined in. Apparently one of the black bulls had decided he needed a place that was warm to lay down for the night. Well, during the day when the sun was out and it was warmer during the day, uh, the, the black top had absorbed all that energy from the sun and it was warm at night, though the air was kind of cool around. One of these big, gigantic, huge black bulls weighing somewhere around 3,000 pounds had made his way out on that black top and I guess he kind of liked the warmth and said this would be a kind of a nice spot to settle down. As my pastor friend and his wife were making their way back towards their home and came around this curve on that black top and this huge black bull that had found his way on top of that road, it's kind of difficult to, to, to figure out what it was. He, he saw something there and at the last moment he realized what had happened. Swerve, but last second his car impacted that, that large animal, weighed almost as much as his car weighed. Car flipped over, went off into the ditch. He said to his wife, Honey, you okay? A lot of time had passed by. They'd been knocked out from the collision. And she said, I think I'm all right. She said, My, my left leg really hurts, but other than that, I think I'm, I think I'm okay. She said, how, how are you? He said, Well, you know what? I, 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 don't, I don't feel anything at all, I feel nothing. I just feel tired, and they lapsed in and out of consciousness for several hours until finally someone came down that lonely country road and discovered the accident and got help. When they got them to the hospital, they figured out why her leg was hurting so badly. Her her ankle, when the impact, her her leg had been smashed into the floorboard of the car, and and her 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 foot had twisted over, and her ankle literally was just shattered and crushed. Several hours of operation was required to use pins and, and put, her, put her bones back together in that, that area of her body. They also discovered why, though he was in and out of consciousness and was very severely injured, he really felt nothing. He had sustained an injury that had caused him to become a quadriplegic. Loss of his arms, loss of his legs. Numb, no feeling whatsoever. 
he was recovering over here in the Veterans Hospital over by Palo Alto. Someone had called me where I was pastoring and said, did you hear about this accident? I said, I'm hearing now for the first time. They said, well, he's over there and, and he's not doing well. Do you think you might be able to go visit? And it was about a 45-minute drive from where I was. And I said, I'd be glad to. Man, I got my black-looking kind of suit on and my black Bible. I wanted to be very pastoral and ministerial. I'm going to go make a hospital visit on a preacher, brother. And I remember walking into that room, and I, you know, I, wanted, I didn't want to be you know, somber, but I wanted to be dignified. I didn't want to go in and make it seem like it was nothing. I wanted him to know that you know, I'd heard the story. My heart was, uh, was with him. And I walked in that room and was all ready to be you know, pastoral in, in a black suit and black Bible and kind of somber. And, and hello, brother, how are you? And I'm here to minister to you in the name of the Lord. And all that kind of stuff that we sometimes associate as being pastoral. And I walked into that room, and Brother Jorgensen, as soon as I walked in, he looked up and saw me, and that same gigantic, warm smile came across his face. He looked up, and he said, Brother Davis, come on in and sit down. Let's have a conversation together. Man, before I walked out of that room, I felt like he had made a pastoral visit. On, I mean, I went in feeling a little bit low down here and left feeling up here. Why? Because whatever it was that was inside of his heart had not been stolen away by that accident. Now, wait a second. How can something like that happen to somebody and they not get bitter? Here he was, a man that had stood behind pulpits like this and preached the Word of God. He'd walked up and down the streets of his city. He'd knocked on the doors. He'd passed out gospel tracts. He'd preached hundreds of sermons and Sunday school lessons and counseling. And now all of a sudden, like a rug had been ripped out from beneath his feet. And yet, he still had the smile. I had to walk out of there asking myself the question, if I were thrust into that same kind of a situation. I wonder if I'd still have my smile. I wonder if perhaps I'd react like so many folks that I've witnessed over these years of being in full-time service that have had horrible things happen to them and they double up their fist and shake their fist in the face of God and dare to question God's authority over their life and say things like, if you're really God, how could you let something like this happen to me? was not what I saw when I walked into that room that day of my dear preacher friend. I called his wife, and she's still, of course, living in Reno, and I said, hey, look, I know you don't get to come over here and visit your husband just by, by the by nature of the fact you're so far away. I said, I, I, I have a school here, and I need a teacher, and um, I'm wondering if you wouldn't consider coming to teach for us. And and then in, in, when you're out of class, you can go spend the time with your husband, and it can be an everyday visit instead of a once-a-week visit. Then she said, Brother Davis, you don't need a teacher. We're already into the school year. You've already got your teachers. I said, well, I, I need one. She said, you really want me to come teach? I said, I sure do. She said, what class do you want me to teach? And I had to stop and think. I hadn't thought, well, I didn't need one. <laughs> I just, I said, well, you know, we'll probably use you in the high school and you can teach English here and then something over here. I said, you, she said, you don't need me, she said, but I'm going to take you up on your gracious offer. I really, I really, it's an answer to prayer. I get to be close to my husband. And so we fixed her up with an apartment and her teenage boy moved with her down here and got to visit. It was Christmas time and our choir was getting ready for uh, for the Christmas season and practicing extra hours and so forth and 
getting ready for a, for a big thing we're putting on. And uh, the phone rang in the office, and someone came and said, Brother Davis, you've got to get this call. Uh, it's an emergency call for this dear pastor's wife. And uh, I, I took the call, and it was their daughter. She was calling, and she said, Brother Davis, I, I don't want to give this message to my mom over the phone, but it's an emergency. She said, it's my brother. He was 32 years of age. I said, well, what's wrong? She said, he has just suffered a massive stroke. And the doctors don't, there was an aneurysm that, that burst in his, in, his, in his brain. And the doctors don't know if he's going to live through the night. And, and, I, I, and I don't know what to do. And I'm just trying to get a hold of mom. And, and could you get her? So I, I got, went, she was in the choir practicing. I got her to the office phone. And, and of course, there was the weeping. And our hearts were broken. And as she hung up the phone, she was left with the news that her 32-year-old son might not even live through the night. And I remember Brother Jorgensen thinking to myself, I thought, dear God, how much can a, can a family sustain? How much can you take? I mean, I mean, burden on top of burden on top of burden. What can you, what, how can you stand it? And in just a moment, our, our men and, and uh, the folks that were yet there at the, at, at the, at the uh, rehearsal time for the choir they, they heard about the need and and immediately someone got on the phone and found out flight arrangements and raised the money on the spot to buy a, a ticket for this dear lady and, and her teenage boy to fly home trying to get there in time to see their boy before he passed away according to what the doctors were saying we, we made all the final arrangements got uh, someone lined up to drive them up to Oakland there where they want to catch the plane and go to the airport and fly home and try to get there in time to say goodbye to her son. That's what the doctors had told her to expect. She said, Brother Davis, my husband does not deserve to hear this over the telephone. She said, and I don't have time to go there to see him. She said, would you do me a favor? And would you go tell him in person? She said, I just don't know how in the world he's going to stand it. I said, I'll go. I drove over to that hospital, and by the time I got there, it was about 12, 15, 12, 30 in the morning. And I walked in, I, I told the, the, the head nurse there, I said, now look, I'm going down to, to see your patient here, and of course he's quadriplegic, and I don't know how this might impact his health, how he's going to react to this at all, I don't know if you need to be put on notice. She said, oh yes. She said, thank you for letting us know about it. She said, I'm going to have the doctor standing by, we'll, we'll let you go in, we'll just wait outside the room. But we, we may very well have to come in and, and give some assistance here. I remember walking into the room and, and I, I said, uh, Pastor, excuse me for coming in to bother you. He looked up, saw me in just a very dim light because it was, you know, 12, 15, 12, 30 in the morning and it was supposed to be sleeping time. And I said, I'm bothered to wake you up. He said, oh, he, he said, you, 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 haven't, you haven't woken me up. He said, I, I've got too many things to pray for to be asleep by now. He said, I can't preach anymore. He said, but I can pray. He said, but Brother Davis, you're not here at this time of day to, for a social visit. He said, what, what is it? And I walked over to him and I said, Preacher, can I hold your hand? He said, yes. And I reached down and I took his hand between mine and I said, You've made these kind of visits before, Pastor. You know how difficult it is, but I've got some real hard news for you. I said, we received word tonight that your son suffered a massive stroke. And your, your wife and your teenage boy, they're, they're on the way right now trying to get home to visit, see him, 
the doctors are telling us they don't know if he's going to live through the night. And that man looked up at me while I was still holding his hand in mine. He had been my teacher so many times. When I was 19 and 20 and 21 and those three years in a row that we were in his church, we learned so much from him. He had already been my teacher, but he was teaching me something else that night. As I held his hand between mine and gave him that, I, I don't know as a parent, Brother Jorgensen, I don't know as a parent if he could get any worse news. Then your son is not expected to live. I'd rather die before I have to hear the news of my daughter's dying. I, don't, I mean, I just can't imagine that. And as I gave him the news and held his hand and I watched him and the doctors were poised to come in because they didn't know how he might react. I'll never forget this as long as the Lord gives me my mind. He looked up at me with big old tears rolling down his face and he said, Brother Davis, the Lord liveth and the Lord taketh. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What does it take to stop somebody? What is it today? A phone call, a letter, a visit. What is it that make you say, you know what? I've had enough. I quit. Here I am surrendered. I'm in Bible college. I, I'm trying my best to, to, to keep everything going and pay my bill and, and, and my classes and my tests and my term papers and, 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 and trying to cope with life at college. And all of a sudden this news comes. I quit. wonder what it is that be that news for you. Could I tell you something? If there is a point at which you would say, I quit, Satan is going to see to it that point arrives on your doorstep. Paul said here, in verse 28, look at it please, it says, And when they were escaped, then they knew the island was called Melita. It had already been given as a fact that God had already told uh, Paul that there's going to be a shipwreck. He said, don't worry, nobody's going to die, but there's going to be a shipwreck. Paul did not know where it was going to be. And so verse number one, it's like Paul said, oh, yeah, this is where it was going to be. When they were escaped, then they knew the island was called Melita. Can I tell you something about verse number one? God did not look down on that tiny island where the shipwreck occurred and go, oh, my soul. Paul, what are you doing there? He knew Paul was headed there. He told Paul before he got there, he was headed there. He said, you're going to, now nobody's going to die, but you're going to have a wreck and you're going to float up on the shore. And that's where I want you. Could I tell you something, young men, young ladies? There is a will of God for your life. And when you're there in the will of God, you ought to stay there. Don't give up and don't turn, be like a bulldog that grabs a hold of something and don't tear loose. Oh, but Brother Davis, there's been a shipwreck. There's been a heartache. There's been a disappointment. There's been a setback. Yes! And God knew that before it happened. And if God was still in the business today of writing it down and giving it to us beforehand by the inspiration of the Spirit, we would already know there's going to be a shipwreck and you're going to be on an island. And when you get there, don't quit. Can I tell you something? There's a will of God for your life. We don't know what it is yet as far as a, as a geographical will of God. Well, I just don't know about geographical will of God, Brother Davis. 
Ask Jonah about that. He decided he was going somewhere else than where God told him to go. Didn't turn out very well for him, did it? Hotel whale. Not real good. Accommodations were kind of slimy. You think in any of the hotel rooms you've stayed at smelled thing about his. But there was a geographical will of God. Could I tell you something? And I don't know this for sure. And I'm not in the business of dictating God's will because I'm not God. There are some things I know that that's God's will, like soul winning and and uh, don't commit adultery and go to church and tithe and read. I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't even have to pray. I mean, I know that's God's will. But I can't tell you, I know God wants you in this college, or I know God wants you at, at another place, or I know God wants you to go pastor in Seattle. Or so. I can't tell you that. God will communicate that to you. But once God has communicated His will to you, and you found His will, don't turn back. That's why when some of you are tempted to drop out of college, I'm concerned that you're walking out of the geographical will of God for your life. How in the world can you take the next step if you aren't standing on the right step? It says when they were escaped, they knew the island was called Melita. They were where God wanted them to be. And by the way, in the midst of the will of God, notice this. It said the barbarous people. Um, a barbarian is called a barbarian because of their behavior towards strangers. I preached for Brother Mutchler last week, and, and they treated me so well. Bought this suit for me, this tie, the shoes I have on. I mean, I, I did not leave there saying, boy, Brother Mutchler's a barbarian. No, he, he's gracious, and what a host, and spoiled me more than I deserved or needed to be spoiled. He was a kind gentleman. But there are others that treat you very wrong and may even want to harm you or take you out. That's how they earn the name barbarian. So the Bible says there was a group of barbarians, people who were known for being mean. But because they were in the will of God, the mean people treated them nice. Could I tell you something? The safest place on earth to be is in the middle of the will of God. Well, barbarians are there. Yeah, and if your barbarians are there and you're in God's will, God can take care of the barbarians. It says the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. They kindled a fire, received us, everyone, because of the present rain, because of the cold. Here's the scene. Man, they'd just gone through a storm, and the ship was dashed on the rocks, and they grabbed hold of the planks and, 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 and the beams, and they washed up on shore, and the rain is beating down, the wind is blowing, and, and they're chilled to the bone. And the barbarians said, we'll build you a fire. Come gather around the fire and warm yourselves. The Bible says in verse number 3, And Paul gathered a bundle of sticks. There is the will of God. And by the way, when you are there in the middle of the will of God, you might as well make yourself useful. Don't just sit there like a bump on a log. Paul could have sat there and said, Yeah, you barbarians, I'm kind of cold. I make that fire bigger. Bring me some more wood. I'm a little bit chilly here. I'm, I'm chilled to the bone. Bring on some more wood. Paul looked around and said, hey, there's a need. The need is to get some more firewood. I will become involved. While you are here, man, become involved. Go to everything. When I was at Hiles Anderson College, and they had teachers. I wasn't even a teacher. I had to work on Wednesday night and had a rule back then. You couldn't uh, teach on Sunday if you didn't go to the teacher's meeting on Wednesday. And, 
and uh, so I, and I had to work, and so I couldn't go to. So, but I I went to every meeting they had. When, when they had a staff meeting that was open up to the home, man, I would go and sit down on that thing. If they had a, a Sunday school teacher meeting, I'd go sit in that thing. They had a bus meeting. I'd go sit. Why? I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn everything I could while I was there. I wanted to become involved. By the way, that ought to be the flaming desire of your heart. By the way, young men, if you're here in this Bible college and you know the hand of God is upon you to someday pastor or be an evangelist or a missionary or in some way be in full-time service and you don't have a desire for the things of God, you need to fall on your face and say, God, something's wrong down here. Get it fixed. But he went out and he began to gather together a bundle of sticks. You say, well, yeah, I guess right. Uh, when, when you get involved and you start working and when you surrender, then, then good things will happen. Yeah, let me tell you what happened to Paul. When he gathered the sticks and laid them on the fire, there came out a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. He said, Brother Davis, he, he was just trying to do something good and something bad happened to him. Yeah. You're going to walk out of these halls of learning someday to do something good, only have something bad happen. And when the bad follows on the heels of the doing good, the devil's going to say, see there, there's no reason for you to continue on. Why don't you just quit? Why don't you just stop? Why don't you just drop out? Why don't you just turn in the call of God on your life? You picked it up at the altar, take it back and throw it down on the altar. Bad things happened. Viper came out of that fire and Paul was trying to just help out a little bit. The Bible said it didn't just, didn't just strike him, it said it fastened on his hand, it hung on. You see it picture him slinging that thing and a big old snake hanging on his hand like a rope and trying to get it off and he's just hanging on, tenacious like a dog bite. Paul looked down there at that snake hanging on his hand and said, you know what, I've had it. Ever since I've become a Christian, it's been nothing but one headache and one heartache after another. Man, people trying to stone me to death with stones and people trying to kill me and people spitting at me and people calling me names and I get out of here in this boat they're taking me to prison and the boat gets smashed up. on the... I have had it with this whole Christianity mess. You can take it and do with it what you want. I, look at this snake hanging on me. I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to quit. It's not what the Bible says. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. So the Bible says, and he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. He shook off the beast. I know this has already been true of our college students. I'll tell you it will be true in the future. That the beast will come in the midst of service and latch hold of you. And dreams of a lifetime will vanish in front of your eyes like the flash of a firecracker to be gone 
never to be recovered. And heartache so strong and so heavy that you don't think you can set one foot in front of the other. And you don't want to go to bed at night because you toss and turn on your bed. And you don't want to wake up in the morning because the first thing that comes to your mind when you wake up is that beast hanging around your neck. And the devil says, why don't you quit? You're out here doing good. Yeah, you surrendered to the Lord. You went off to Bible college and you're preaching and you're pastoring and you're missionary. And yeah, all that mess. And look what good it did for you. Did you know? Look at that beast hanging on your hand. Why don't you just quit? But, but Paul shook off the beast into the fire felt no harm but the crowd began to gossip well if you can't handle gossip don't go on the work of the lord now flip side of that is just going to work of the lord and handle it i mean shake off the beast well she said i dyed my hair well thank god you got some hair that makes it look like someone would say you're going to dye it All these criticisms that can come around on a pastor's family and a preacher's family and a missionary's family and, and those that are trying to serve and the world unleashes their bombs again. They think you're crazy because you don't agree with them on the movies and drinking and abortion and, and all that kind of stuff. And the, and, and the criticism comes. Look here. It says they looked on him when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. Verse 6. And looked a great while and saw no harm come to him. They changed their minds. Well, at first they said, you must be a murderer. Well, how many times have I seen some preacher that, that has been serving God faithfully and something would come across his path that was a disappointment and some big mouth Bertha would rise up against him and say, oh, let me tell you something. I know why that happened to you. Because you got sin in your life. There's a lot of good people that have bad things happen and it's not because of sin in their life. But there are those that will accuse of that. And they just watched him. By the way, the world will watch you how you handle adversity as well. The world watched when he should have fallen down dead and he should have died and when he didn't, they said, no, he's not a murderer. He must be a God. Now, I don't want anybody to think I'm a God, but I, I tell you what, I want to live my life in such a way that I would want someone to say, there's a man of God. I fail so often at that, and please don't misunderstand me that I'm bragging. I'm not. Man, I know Wally Davis. And I, I, I marvel sometimes that God would use me even a little bit. Can I tell you something? I want to react, and I want you to react to adversity in such a way that when they say, man, he should have quit, he should have, he should have, been, he should have stopped. They say, man, he didn't. He, there's something, there's something. He's not a murderer. He, he, must, he, must be, he must be one of those men of God we hear so much about. That ought to be what people think about you. Adversity comes and people watch how they're going to react to that only to see that you're staying on track with the Lord. Man, 
I'm out of time. There's a lot more here, but let me close with this. My preacher friend got out of the hospital, still quadriplegic. A church that had loved him for years and watched him from afar contacted him and his wife and his teenage boy and they said, we want you to come to our church. We're going to give you a salary to work here in the area of our Sunday school and we're going to get you, we bought a home here that the church owns. We're going to remodel it so you can get around in your electric wheelchair and we want you to, we want you to head up the Sunday school department. We want you to be in charge of visiting absentees in the Sunday school. And he said, how in the world am I going to do that? I'm in a wheelchair. I, I can't get around. Even if I got in my, my, the special van they had for him, and I go to their house, I can't get in their houses. They don't have ramps for me to get up there, and they can't carry me. It wouldn't be great to... And they, his wife puts out a big list of all the absentees and visitors. And he, he wrote me, he said, Brother Davis, he said, my wife puts this, this, this thing in front of me. And I, I, I speak the numbers and it dials the number. And when they answer the phone, I say, hello, my name. And he gives his name and he says, I'm, a, I'm the Sunday school superintendent of the Baptist church you just attended Sunday. And I want to visit with you. He said, but I've got a problem. He said, you remember seeing that guy down front in that wheelchair? And they said, well, yeah, because you know, they obviously remembered him. He said, I'm that guy. He said, you probably don't have a ramp coming into your house, do you? And they let, well, no. He said, here's the deal. My wife and I will have donuts and coffee. All you have to do is, here's my address. Here's how to get here. Would you come on a Tuesday night? And he gives them a time slot, 7 to 7 uh, 30 or 7.30 to 8 or 8 to 8.30. And he says, is there a time you can come? He said, Brother Davis, I have more people coming to let me visit with them in my home than I used to have allow me to come into their home when I was pastoring. He said, it's awesome. He said, I, I, I visit the absentees the same way. I got the coffee. I got the donuts. Would you come on over from 7 to 7.15? He says, and they come. He said, thank God I may not have use of my arms and I may not have use of my legs, but I can still be used. See, what has he done, Brother David? He shook off the beast. By the way, if you're going to make it out of this place, you're going to have to learn to shake off the beast. It will come while you're trying to do well. It will come while you're trying to do good. And it will latch hold. And it won't let go. And the world will watch to see, what's that guy going to do? What's that young lady going to do? They watch when you should have swollen and fallen down dead suddenly. And when you don't, they looked and said, he's is a God. There's a man of God. There's a lady of God. The Bible says they began to spread the word around how Paul reacted. The next thing you know, the richest man on the island came and said, would you come stay with me? And by the way, while you're staying with me, my daddy's sick. Could you help my daddy? And Paul was able to minister to people after the snake bite 
more than he would have before. Look up here. What's it going to take to make you quit? What phone call right now could make you say, I am throwing it all in. I'm done. What news could snatch you out of God's will? Of course, my desire, Brother Trevor's desire, Dr. Jorgensen's desire, Brother Harold, the staff here, our desire is that at a very young age, and that's where you are in the ministry right now, and I'm not saying that condescendingly at all, you would learn the benefit shaking off the beast because it'll come and what you do with it will determine of the impact you're going to have on that world out there because they're watching i wonder what they're going to see thank you for listening to the classic sermons podcast from preachthebible.org a ministry of north valley baptist church in santa clara california to listen to many more powerful sermons visit our website PreachTheBible.org If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.